see you all. Thank you so much for the way you love one another. Um, it's compelling. Apart from just encountering God and singing, I, I mean, this view is amazing just to get to see the way that you love one another, enthusiastically greet one another. Um, this morning, we're going to start a new series called Being Human. And um, that may seem very elementary to many of us, but I think God has something special for us as we slow down and consider the topic of why did God create us the way that he did? And we're going to find that there's some real freedom uh, in living our lives as human beings. We're not um, some sort of spiritual machine. We're not robots, but we are people that are created in the image of God. And over the last several years, or the last couple of years, I've reread this book called The Call of Jesus. It's only about 50 pages, uh, and it's about discipleship in the 21st century. And it has been so helpful to me. So I recommend it to you, but I, I want to read a quote from, from this book, and it's from a Canadian novelist. And so if you were at the Enneagram thing, you would not be surprised that I chose a Canadian novelist to open this series. His name is Douglas Copeland, and it's from a book called The Gum Thief. And I think it perfectly encapsulates what's, what it's like to be a human and what it's like to be a disciple in the 21st century. He says... A few years ago, it dawned on me that everybody past a certain age pretty much constantly dreams of being able to escape their lives. They don't want to be who they are anymore. They want out. It's universal, right? And so that can be different for different people. Um, there are lots of ways that we seek to escape our lives. There are lots of ways that we can pretend to be other people. I want to give you a few that I think are safe and right up the middle. Um, the first is, you know, the way that we dress. Like you can look, if you want to pattern your pattern of dress after a celebrity, you might think that somehow the life and the success that they have would be yours if you could only look like them. Now, my son Hudson, who is up here on the front row, um, he is a passionate basketball player, has tryouts this week, and um, I, he, just like every other 12-year-old boy, loves Stephen Curry. And so uh, it is my privilege to be able to get him some rockin' Stephen Curry shoes. Because we have a saying at my house that if you, you know, if you look good, you feel good, you play good. Is that right, Jabari? If you look good, feel good, play good. All right, yeah, yeah. So that's what we say, and so we're still working on the NBA three-pointer, you know, but, I mean, at the end of the day, that helps um, to connect him to an athlete that he looks up to and hopefully experience some degree of success. We all do that, right? But it also could be just, hey, hey if I could just get to the next level financially, like if I could just make $10,000 more a year, it would change my life. We believe those kinds of things. We believe that happiness is just outside of our reach. It doesn't have to be financially. It also could be relationally. It could be this, the season of life that you're in. So if you are single, right? And I had a conversation with a single person this week, and I talked about the gift of singleness, and they said, you must be kidding me, right? All the singles said, amen, right? And I said, I said tongue-in-cheek, I mean, Scripture values being single, but I said, that's just something that married people say, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> 
But we can value, right, that, that, that happiness is just over the horizon. So if I'm single, it means getting married. If I'm married, it means having children. If it's having small children, it's getting to where they're the next age. And then once they grow, then it's, can I have, um, you know, grandchildren? And life is this elusive experience that's just outside of us that we're always grasping for, but we don't quite reach. And if there is anything that you get out of this series, it's this right here. Life is not something we pursue, but life is something that we receive as a gift, living in union with our Creator and aligning our lives with the purposes that He has designed for us. So we don't have to go looking for life. We actually have life and we have received life. And that's what we're going to look at over the next several weeks. How do we find freedom in being a human being? Why did God create us the way that he created us? Um, And you see this truth all over scripture. Now, our last series, we went through a whole book of the Bible. This one is going to be more topical and hopefully applicable and meeting us right where we are. Um, We're going to look at John chapter 10. We're going to look at one single verse this morning. So if you have your Bibles open, Would you stand with me? And the reason that we stand is to just give attention and deference and reverence to His words. His words are much more important than my words. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that in this single verse, you give us your purpose for our lives. I pray that this would not be a mystery that somehow eludes us as your followers, but would be something that we can honestly begin to live in the good of. I pray that you would perform this word in our lives. I pray that it would make it into the the details tomorrow and Tuesday and Thursday at 3 o'clock. I pray that this wouldn't just be idealism, but it would be something that you use to draw us to yourself and to use us to connect with other people in the world that need to experience freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. So this verse is an invitation from Jesus to experience life. It says life and life abundantly. Now, depending on how long you've tried to follow Jesus, that may sound extremely naive. That may sound idealistic. It may sound like hyperbole because for most of us, if we're honest, in the busyness of life and going through the motions, most of us are trying to survive most of the time. So what in the world is Jesus teaching us here? Is this, is this just to create frustration in us, or is there something that He has for us? And depending on really where you are and how you grew up, you may or may not have ever heard a sermon or even a, especially not a sermon series on being human. But we're going to slow down because the experience of life is intricately tied to being a human being. 
right? And, and, and there have been some lies, I think, that have infiltrated the truth or the, the church that I think it's important for us to be able to um, look at and explore so that we can experience life. So if, if, if this is just a topic where life is something that we pick up from our culture, it's going to lead us one way. Um, if we just try to figure it out on our own, it's going to lead us one way. But if we listen and heed Jesus' invitation to experience life. We really can have life to the full. Which brings me to my first point. Understanding what it means to be human is vital to discipleship. To misunderstand what it means to be human is to misunderstand the nature and the purpose of discipleship. Oftentimes, right, Following Jesus and discipleship gives off pictures of being more spiritual but less human. Am I right? So I'll give you this example. So I was uh, a new believer. I wanted to go into pastoral ministry. I don't know if this was a sermon or a chapter I read in a book, but it was called 14 Hours a Day. And it was about the life of Jonathan Edwards. And basically, the picture that was portrayed of Jonathan Edwards, um, he would get up early, he would go to bed late, he would spend every day that he was at home, he would spend 14 hours a day inside of his study, reading, writing, praying, okay? Um, He tailored his diet to the point that he would only eat foods that would allow him to work longer and work harder and achieve more. Now, I'm not here to necessarily criticize Jonathan Edwards. Um, that may be what it means to be a good steward of the mind that God had given him. But I do think that kind of thinking is portrayed inside the churches. That's normative, right? That if you're going to be really spiritual, you're going to have to give up a lot of things and that Christians live in this really narrow bandwidth that the only things that are of real value, and there is real value in the things I'm about to tell you, it's reading your Bible, right? It's praying, it's spending time with other Christians, maybe sharing your faith in an evangelistic way, but that's, that's what the Christian life is, right? And so when you leave those things behind and you go do other things, right, you naturally feel guilty. What this series is about is helping us to live holistically, that all of life matters to God, that all of life is a way to connect with God. Not only is that the the norm that's kind of portrayed inside the church, I mean, you can watch movies about Jesus, right? I mean, most of them are horrible, right? I mean, (laughs) and it's okay, man. Please know that no disrespect, but Jesus is portrayed as this stoic figure who stands up, Verily I say unto thee, children of the Lord, here's the bread, right? But if you read the book, I mean, he is, he is a guy that laughs and cries. He pokes fun at his disciples. He calls James and John the sons of thunder, right? That's because they were full of hot air. I mean, children were attracted to him. Jesus went to parties, so much so that he was called a drunkard and a glutton by his detractors. Jesus knew how to live life. So if, if we are going to be authentic disciples of Jesus and we're going to be authentic followers of Jesus, it, it doesn't mean becoming more spiritual at the expense of being less 
human. And by being human, I mean the way that God created us to be human, right? So this is supposed to help us to connect all of our life. Being Christ-like means being more human, at least the way that God has designed it to be. And so, and I've been wrestling with this in my, in my own life, because if you read, read the New Testament, there's this tension, um, and you can see it in the Gospel of John, between come and die, right? Pick up your cross and follow me, and come and live. So those two things have to be able to go together. And what's happening in John chapter 10, and what's happening for us, I think, is that, that God is highlighting the idea of coming to die is coming to die to false ways of thinking and living, right? The, the people that Jesus was addressing in John chapter 10 were the religious leaders of the day that were putting burdens on people that they could simply not bear. So he was setting them free. And not only that, but they were being really led and they were children of the devil is what the Gospel of John says. That the religion of the day was detracting people from the purpose that God had created them to live. So he came to give them life and to give them life abundantly. So coming to die is coming to find life in the way that God has designed life to be. Listen to this quote from a book that I've been reading called Being Human. People think that being a Christian or being spiritual means giving up everything that is enjoyable and crushing whatever inner impulses they have simply because they are part of the human experience. Throughout history, there has been a tendency towards asceticism with the religions of the world so that for ordinary men and women, religion has become synonymous with the negative, like what we are against, the drab the gaunt, the unnatural. They imagine, therefore, and that's the people that encounter religion, that religion is against the experiences that make up normal, ordinary life. The enjoyment of food and drink, of husband, of wife, of leisure and creativity. Religion appears to them to be a monster that eats up the self. To be human is to... Yes, there is a fall. And yes, there is a way to do all of these things to excess. But there also is a way to follow Jesus and to become like Him and experience life and freedom and joy in the things that God has created you to do. God actually wants you to enjoy your life. right? He doesn't want you to live with a spiritual component over here and uh, you know the rest of your life over here. He wants to be Lord of all of it. And when we do this correctly, listen, eating and drinking and marital relations can be just as good of a means of connecting with God as Bible reading and prayer, right? It's all of life belongs to Him. So we want to bring Him into all that we do. Now, The truth is, like when people look inside the church, and particularly church inside a southern context, right, more often than not, like we look like the people from Footloose. Like, have you seen Footloose, right? (laughs) People that badly need to learn how to dance and have a party, right? I mean, so this, I think, for us to be authentic followers of Jesus means that we learn, what does it mean to bring all of life 
under the Creator God that, give it, that gives us everything to enjoy as long as we receive it for the purpose that He's given it and we receive it with thanksgiving and prayer. That's, that's what we are talking about. Now, in the New Testament, there is a heresy called Gnosticism. You may have heard of this. Like They address it in the book of 1 John. And that's where the, the basic tenets of Gnosticism is that the material world is bad. So how they took that was... Because the material world is bad and the body is bad, it basically doesn't matter what you do with your body. So you could be perfectly aligned with God and you could sleep with whoever you wanted because basically everything is bad. Now, we don't do that inside the church, most likely. But what we do do in the midst of that is we also very much compartmentalize our lives in this very narrow bandwidth of praying, reading the Bible, which are excellent things. And we leave off the rest of life. And so we feel disconnected. This is about us coming alive to the reason that God has made us. So, the scriptures teach us that all of life is holy to God. So let's begin to look at what does it mean to be human? First, it means that we are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. This should be on the screen for you. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God created both men and women to image Him as a picture and as a representation of what He's like. So the ultimate picture of humanity is Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, Jesus came down in the flesh. But also, right, so we spent time in this room this weekend studying the Enneagram. If you want to know what God looks like, look around the room, right? There are diverse personalities and gifts that reflect what God's like. His justice, His mercy, His love, His compassion. Um, In the ancient world, um, kings and representatives, when they couldn't rule in a foreign land, you can think about the the book of Daniel, they would set up an image or a statue to kind of represent their authority and their power. So there were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They wouldn't bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. Right? But God doesn't give a statue like that to represent His authority. He gives us to one another. And He gives us to all of creation to represent Him and to show the world what He is like. To be made in the image of God means that we are created with worth and value and dignity just because we are made in His image. It means, listen to every person in this room, is made with purpose and design. You are not a product of biology, right? You are an intentional thought by God. You are created with purpose and design. Listen to Psalm 139. This is what's true of everyone in the room. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. 
My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So it says, He knit you together. He took your life and He designed your DNA to come together. And that means your personality. That means your physical structure. That means the ways that you are gifted. It means the ways that you experience weakness. All of those are intentionally placed inside of you by God so that you can connect with Him and you can connect with other people and so that you can fulfill the original purpose of creation which is to make something of the world. God designs you for a purpose. It's to be in relationship with Him and to connect with other people. So to be made in the image of God means that we image Him, that we reflect Him. It takes both male and female to fully reflect God. It takes every ethnicity. Every ethnicity was designed by God, not so that we would be divided, but so that we would marvel at the beauty of our Creator God that gives us all of these nations, every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation, every shade of color to represent who God is, right? There's no, yeah, there's no degradations in the image of God. Like this is a high and a holy privilege for us to be able to represent Him. And not only are you a representative, but you have been given a commission. To image God means that we image Him and we take His image to the furthest corners of the earth. For most of us, that means um, having a family, right? Giving His image and seeing that go forward through the family structure. But in the family of God, it means making disciples that make disciples that go to the end of the earth. We represent God and we are made in His image. That means there is a value in all of life, rich or poor, young or old, right? unborn, right? Immigrants, all made in the image of God. We want to value all of life as our Creator God does. And this is, this is why this is important with discipleship. Sin makes us less human, right? To sin against another person means you must take away their personhood. So, think about sexual temptation and lust. Right? When we do that, we are objectifying another person. We are taking away their worth and their value. Pride means that we take away or we at least assert our worth and value over another person. Greed means that we value material possessions over other people. Sin makes the world less human than the way that God has created it to be. I took this from a talk that I listened to from Andy Crouch this week. To love someone means to give them their personhood back, right? We see people. We look into them. We acknowledge that they're made in the image of God, the value and the, the worth that they have. One of my favorite Broadway plays that I'm going to go see in a, uh, probably about a month or two is Les Mis. And at the end, one of my favorite lines is right, to 
love another person is to see the face of God. Right? That's what it means. We're acknowledging the personhood that God has given us. Our view of humanity is directly tied to our capacity to love. So to be human means we are made in the image of God. But it also means that we are made with a body and a soul. We are neither a body with a soul or a soul with a body. We are both. We are material and we are immaterial. We have a body that's made up of oxygen and phosphorus and a lot of other elements that I can't remember right now. But I mean, we are physical beings. God so valued humanity that he took on flesh himself and entered into the story. We are material, but we also are immaterial. We have a part of us that lives on, that um, even when the body dies, goes to be present with the Lord. And then what the Scripture teaches is that one day that there will be a resurrection and a reuniting of the body and the soul that will live on forever, of whom Jesus is the first fruits. So having a body and having a soul is designed by God to help you to connect with Him. You have a body to connect with Him, and you have a soul to connect with Him. You have a body to connect with other people, and you have a soul to connect with other people, right? You have a body and a soul to make something of God's world. So that's what we're going to talk about. So just think about the, the five senses that you have. Taste, right? What a gift from God. You can taste it. Food is not just fuel, right? Spicy food, salty food, sweet food, hot food, cold food, all of those tastes and textures are ways of encountering God. Those are meant to be things that draw us to the generosity of the Creator God so that we can um, connect with Him. But not only that... um, he, he also gives us taste so that we can use and make something of creation. So if you ever enjoyed a meal out and that made you want to worship, I mean, that's, that's what God designed with food. And food is also a way that we connect with other people around the table, right? We're going to connect around this table at the conclusion of the service, a meal where we're all together connecting with God and who He has created us to be. Taste. Not only that, Um, But he also has given us the um, gift of touch. So think about this. We experience both pleasure and pain in the gift of touch. Pain warns us that something's wrong. Pleasure is a way of connecting to God and to other people, right? So, I mean, sometimes it's so meaningful when words escape you to just pull someone close and to give them a hug, right? It's the gift of touch. It's a way to make something of the world and a way to connect with other people. We have the gift of sight where we can distinguish between seven million colors in the world. But most guys can't match their shoes, right? Um, That's amazing though. Seven million colors that you can see. Um, And this is what, but no, the, the gift of sight is not just to appreciate the, the artistry and the, crea- the creation, but it also is a way to connect with other people. I read about this performance artist, and it, it, there was a, it was in New York City in 2010, and it was entitled, The Artist is Present, where an artist 
sat for over 750 hours in the largest city in our country, just sitting across and making eye contact with other people. And it was amazing, there's a documentary about this on HBO, how people in a city that big, how long it had been since someone actually saw them. People were moved to tears, right? Most of the time, the most that you can hold eye contact with someone in America is about five to seven seconds, right? And then we get really uncomfortable because we're aware that they start to see our flaws and our insecurities. And so we want to, you know, kind of move. But, I mean, she would do this for a minute and people's souls were undone. We have an opportunity using the senses that God's given us to really see people, to say, I see your value and your worth and to to restore to them the, crea- the creation dignity that God has given to them. A sense of smell and both pleasurable smells that attract us to the food that we eat. I mean, you eat with your eyes and your nose before you eat with your mouth. Um, but it also warns us of danger, the things to avoid. I mean, how kind of God to design us that way. We have a sense of hearing that never, ever shuts down. And my kids seem to understand that very well. And as does my dog, right? I mean, they, <laughs> I have been woken up in the middle of the night. I, I, I mean, that was the, that's the only shock that I had as an adult is like, you never get a full night's sleep ever. Not, now my kids are growing, you know, getting older, but my dog, um, he, he won't rest either. So our, our ears are always on. And and we get to process the world. You get to hear the sound of other people's voices. Uh, You know, many times, you know, people that lose their parents, the only thing they want to be able to do is pick up the phone and hear their voice. You know, there's something about hearing. You you get to hear music, whether that's a symphony. Um, I took my daughter this week to the School of Rock. Right, And so this was an amazing show. And I loved, um, there was a, a point in the show where they played Stevie Nicks. And so if you don't know Stevie Nicks, this is part of your discipleship journey and becoming human, right? Stevie Nicks is on. And everybody instantly, right, was 14 years old and they were bobbing their head. And it's just amazing that God uses gifts like that to help us to connect with a whole room full of people, but also to connect with Him. He wants us to be able to enjoy life as He has created it to be. So we have our five senses, but we also have souls, the immaterial part of us. And there's a lot of different ways you can look at this. You can look at it as a heart, or you can look at it as a soul. Um, I think the way I want to explain it is the inner part of you is made up of your mind and your will and your emotions. So God's given you this uniquely designed by Him. Your mind to think His thoughts after Him to make something of the world, to be able to connect with other people and to be able to worship Him. God's given us a mind. But He also has given us a will. This is something um, that totally sets us apart from all the rest of creation. We can focus on a task and we can persevere and we can make something of the world even when it's difficult. We don't just cut bait and move on. Like God's given us a will so that we can respond to Him and to build something in the way that He has created us to be. But we also have emotions. If you look at the life of Jesus, He perfectly embodied humanity. And we are supposed to be able to experience life to some degree the way that He 
experienced life. We have these wonderful things inside of our brains called mirror neurons, and it helps us to understand on some level what another person is experiencing so that we can feel what they feel, right? So to be more human doesn't mean that we're less in touch with our emotions, but that we are growing and having the right emotions for the right kinds of things. Like there are things in the world that should make you angry. There are some things in the world that should make you happy. There are some things in the world that should make you weep your eyes out. So in our discipleship, as we grow, we want to connect with all of the ways that God has created us to be. And I think the most amazing thing, and I'm going to close with this, is that that Jesus came in the flesh, perfectly showed us what it was to be human, died for all of our flaws and our failures and our sins, and he offers to redeem our story. You may not have ever placed your faith in Jesus, but that's what he wants to do in you is to give you a gift of life where you don't have to go reach out and grab it, but you can receive it as a gift. But Jesus, when he took on flesh, he is the first fruit of our resurrection. He's a human forever, right? I mean, even there's, there's a picture in the book of Revelation where he still bears the scars in his resurrection body so that we can marvel. That's how much Jesus values humanity, and that's the degree that he went so that you could experience abundant life. I want to close by reading Psalm 8, and I hope you hear this with new ears. Bands, you can go ahead and join me. Psalm 8, this should be on the screen. Verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given Him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under His feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. We are not the point of creation God is. I want to be abundantly clear about that. But we do matter. And God does want you to encounter His world in a way that brings both you pleasure and Him glory. And so we're going to just celebrate that this morning. I'm going to pray for us. Father, I pray of all the things that have been said here that you would apply this directly to where we live. um, That it would make a difference in how we eat lunch today. When we take that first bite of food. Uh, that it would matter as we sing these songs. Thank you for a physical representation and communion that we're going to share to get to see what grace tastes like together. I pray that you would help us over the, the next several weeks to break out of the bondages that we may have imposed on ourselves so that we can be free and we can leave, lead other people to be free in the way that you have created them to be pray that relationship with you would be the most joyful and the most attractive thing on the planet and it would be the defining characteristic of our lives. I pray that you would set us free from living compartmentalized lives but know that you care about everything, every detail. So please be present in all that we do. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.